0: Spooky salutations and welcome to our Halloween episode on the Tales from the Asylum podcast. This special will contain a deep dive comparison of the scary classics you know and love. In this episode, we'll be discussing the hit 2001 film Donnie Darko, directed by Richard Kelly, and the cult classic 1978 film Halloween, directed by John Carpenter. Robert Wood Johnson's medical school's extraordinary group named Night's Watch is hosting this Halloween special alongside Dr. Anthony Tobia. So prepare to be spooked, and you'll hear from me very
1: shortly. Hello, happy Halloween weekend, and welcome to the Tales of the Asylum podcast. I'm Sam Shrem, and with me, as always, is Amel. Say hi, Amel.
0: Hey, guys. Happy Halloween.
1: You sound so excited to get I'm started. I'm very
0: excited. You know, I just get nervous when things are scary. So, it's going to be a spooky episode.
1: We're doing things a little differently. Yeah, this is going to be put in before, before. right? Yeah. So, the discussion that follows is a little confusing if you don't have a little bit of a background in schizophrenia. So, Amel, what do you know about schizophrenia?
0: I know it, like, alters people's perception of reality, kind of.
1: Yeah, that can, yeah. That can happen.
0: So, that's that's all I know, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, so... You are talking about the, I guess, the most the most famous symptoms of schizophrenia, where they're called delusions, and you also have the closely related hallucinations. Yeah. So, in delusions, you believe things that are, like, very not true. If I started to develop delusions tomorrow, I'd be like, ah, I have a meeting with, like, I don't know the president of the universe or like the head of the cia tomorrow and that's an example of a specific kind of delusion called the delusion of grandeur the other one that's common is it's called a i want to say i think it's persecution uh a delusion of persecution so it's like you know the cia is hunting me right um so that those are your those are your um delusions Uh, there are other things that go on so if you start to develop schizophrenia you have this first phase called prodrome and in the prodromal phase it's almost similar to depression um, where you get the other two kinds of symptoms delusions hallucinations those are called positive symptoms it's like everything you do and more. Uh, you get negative and disordered symptoms in the prodrome where you stop doing things that you used to do and with disordered symptoms like it doesn't really fit but your behavior is like very random chaotic. One example is word salad. Book, moon, sky, treetop you speak and like that stuff just comes out that's like one example yeah in the prodrome you get negative symptoms and disorganized symptoms so negative symptoms you have stuff like blunted affect so like you like can't really feel your emotions you have like a lack of pleasure called anhedonia social withdrawal you lose like a desire to do things your cognition begins to like decline. You can't problem solve as well. Like you have working memory deficits. Once you get to the da, da, da. oh, it is a positive phase. Uh, that's when it becomes clear that it's not depression or anything else because you would probably know it as a psychotic break. And that's when all the positive symptoms, delusions, hallucinations spill forth, and then like you're in it now. Eventually, those do go away. You end up in the residual phase. It's like prodrome. But it's not as bad. It's not like getting a cold, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you get a cold and you're sick for a while Then you're really sick and then you're not as sick and then it goes away.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, With this, like, you know, it's bad, it gets worse and then it gets not as bad, but then it goes back to the start and it keeps getting worse every time. Mm. It kind of develops early in life, which is a little scary. It has a risk window of like 15 years old to like 23, 25 if you're a guy. Interestingly in women, it's not as bad. It develops later and it's more marked by those like positive symptoms. Those are like, those are treatable. The only other thing of note is that it's mostly genetic. Unfortunately, like one of the risk factors is just like being in like a low socioeconomic bracket. Whether it's poor nutrition, high stress, like.
2: We are viewing Donnie Darko through the lens of a psychiatrist. And have step one made a commitment that we believe the film is about a psychotic associative process, and as part of that, we are choosing to work from a position of schizophrenia. We've, we've identified the, side, the five inclusion criteria for schizophrenia, and further identified that Donnie Darko does demonstrate at least two, if not three, of those five signs. Specifically, hallucinations. Perhaps delusions, as well as a negative symptom, uh, anhedonia, blunted or flat affect. At this point, we further appreciate that this condition is a diagnosis of exclusion, and we have listed five disorders that the American Psychiatric Association mandates that we investigate and rule out in order to rule in schizophrenia. And now we're discussing whether or not there is any evidence to support any of these five other mental disorders as we have previously named them they include a substance induced psychotic disorder a psychotic disorder that is due to another medical condition a schizoaffective disorder a primary mood disorder with psychotic features or an Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. I mean, Any evidence? He takes his two prescription medications like right in the beginning the movie, but he takes two pills, so I'm not sure what the medication would have been, but he to do two of them for So if we observe Donnie Darko taking medication, and it looks like he takes two separate medications, it is probably reasonable to assume that a prescriber has not diagnosed a substance-induced psychotic disorder or that due to a medical condition. I mean, the uh, the antidepressants that are usually prescribed at night, which is uh, Paxil, Paroxetine, because it sometimes can be sedating, I guess could be given as two separate pills. It's a high enough dose. Here's
3: a fan. Huh? Here's from the Reddit fan.
2: I go for it. <laughs> um,
3: we get a small glimpse of the pills Donnie's taking and the only part that's visible is Epin. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. So
3: they think it's Doxepin, yep. which can induce hallucinations.
2: All right, so we're thinking Doxepin?
3: We're thinking Doxepin.
2: Um, all right, Which is an older medication. Uh, it's a tricyclic. Uh, you know, when the board asks about a tricyclic, there are three criteria that you need to look at your clinical vignette and ensure are there for you to be uh, able to choose the tricyclic as first-line therapy or your single best answer. Number one, there has to be an indication. That's obvious. However, more than half the time, the indication will not be major depressive disorder. So you have to appreciate that the tricyclics have alternative indications, because you're about 60% more likely to have them presented in the clinical opinion, right? Can you name a tricyclic, whether it's a brand uh, or uh, generic, and an indication it has through the FDA that is an alternative to depression. Okay, amitriptyline for migraines. Amitriptyline for migraines, good. The
3: one for OCD, is
2: like clomipramine. Clob- Clim- clomipramine. Yeah. Uh, with with I N E. Yeah. But clomipramine for OCD, exactly right. Any, any others?
3: Amitriptyline.
2: Amitriptyline okay. for nighttime enuresis. I think there's significance to this movie in terms of how real it is, as a fictional case of uh, first break psychosis. Uh, in that on many occasions, individuals Donnie's age, around 17 years of age, who present with the prodrome to schizophrenia are misdiagnosed as having depression. Because the prodrome looks like the major depressive episode. Social withdrawal, blunt or flattening of affect. But because of the mistreatment, because of the later diagnosis, the individual at some point 17, 18, 19, certainly up to 25, then presents with frank psychosis because they're on medications like doxipin and not olanzapine. So prodrome of schizophrenia uh, looks very similar to a major depressive episode and certainly accounts for the significantly high incidence of misdiagnosis or at the very least late diagnosis. And Donnie's being an antidepressant instead of an antipsychotic, for which which looks to turn out to be the first break psychotic episode of schizophrenia is, is clinically relevant. She is providing psychotherapy as well, which again would be indicated in someone who's depressed, but not indicated in someone who has schizophrenia or a psychotic disorder. There is one form of psychotherapy that has been empirically proven to improve outcomes in individuals with schizophrenia. And this question comes up all the time on tests including shelf <laughs> exams. What is that form of psychotherapy? Is
3: it family, family therapy? therapy? Yeah.
2: Family therapy for schizophrenia, which not only does she not employ, but the way she actually incorporates the family into the treatment planning is anything else with regard to Donnie's condition.
3: So he has sleepwalking issues too?
2: He has sleepwalking issues. Yeah. I said movie starts. Right. Definitely has sleepwalking issues. Um, again, is is that uh, I mean individuals with it's brain, especially the prodrome. Uh, Again, further supporting why the misdiagnosis often and unfortunately occurs, can't have sleep disturbance. Um, Now, sleepwalking um, is a parasomnia. That's not an insomnia, so it's a little different. Insomnia is a dysomnia. Dysomnia and parasomnia are the two types of sleep weight disorders. Uh, Insomnia, hypersomnia are problems with the sleep architecture. Um, the timing of sleep, the timing of the different stages of sleep, where the parasomnia focuses on behaviors around or about the time of sleep, like sleepwalking, sleepwalking disorder. And how do we differentiate sleepwalking disorder from REM sleep behavior disorder? You recall your dreams and REM sleep behavior disorders. Right. So REM sleep behavior disorder is likely to manifest looking similar to sleepwalking, and maybe that's what's going on here. But the polysomnography will reveal that the individual during REM sleep continue and pathologically has muscle tone. There is an acne during REM. And because they have sustained muscle tones during REM, and that's pathological, they can actually walk during REM periods. So they will remember for sleepwalking even though it's not true sleepwalking disorder. So again, turning our attention to the psychiatrist and then others that would be in what we would refer to as psychiatrists as his social support system. Are there any that demonstrate behaviors that are as off-putting as those from the psychiatrist?
3: His dad finds a lot of his appearances pretty funny.
2: Yeah, you know, that one scene in the car when he's actually trying to not rationalize, put some kind of a spin on it, um, makes a comment along the lines of, you know, when I was your age, I was kind of a rabble-rouser as well. I'm wondering if that actually points to a history of bipolar, right? now, again, it's more of a clinical parole than it is on your shelf exam, but you should never rule out bipolar upon meeting a person for the first time because a manic episode at any point in their past rules them in and even in a comprehensive 60-minute psychiatric evaluation, you may not get all the information, especially that at or around the time of the patient being 16 or 17 years of age. And they're not disclosing that prior manic episode may simply be because they just don't remember it, where their parents or their cousins or their loved ones, etc., might. So I wonder if that's what we're hearing from the father that not Donnie per se, but when he was Donnie's age, he had something very similar because there is a significant degree of credibility for bipolar illness. So that must be, that, that isn't our differential, but this only confirms that it should remain in our differential diagnosis, right? So yes, the dad.
3: Does he have, like, he also has uh, problems with authorities, like oppositional behavior. Uh, previously burned a house down?
2: So like any personality trait that appears to be maladaptive, the clinician must always investigate that that behavior is not in the context of a larger disorder, substance induced, medical condition, or mental disorder. So if an individual is either manic or psychosis during a break of schizophrenia, they can absolutely demonstrate that behavior and if so, Number one, we have to assume as such before we, we have to rule it out. And until we do, we're probably not going to talk about something like the antisocial personality disorder in individuals with schizophrenia. And part of this is due to the fact that individuals with this condition very frequently have cognitive deficits that are similar to dementia. The original description of this condition was dementia pretox, dementia in 25-year-olds and 17-year-olds, cognitive deficits. Sometimes individuals with schizophrenia, due to those cognitive deficits, can't communicate verbally to a point where disorganized um, speech might be part of the picture. In such cases, they may be communicating or opt to communicate nonverbally. And one way can be through fire setting. When that happens, the clinical term is called communicative arson. It's a nonverbal expression of an individual's inner feelings when due to cognitive deficits, they cannot express themselves verbally. So whether the person has true disorganized speech or not, they still might be using non-verbal means to communicate. One example of that might have been Donnie's burning down that school. Was that school? His house. Uh, the house, I'm sorry, it was the, it was the pedophile's house. Is there anybody in this movie, anyone who would be considered part of Donnie's social support that isn't act, acting this way? Gretchen. Gretchen. So, the camera's all for you. Simple question, you're only allowed to say yes or no. Don't give me another syllable other than yes or no. I'm gonna actually go around the room now. Okay? Yes or no, do you like her? I don't care what you think she has. I don't care about your most likely diagnosis. Do you like Gretchen, yes or no? Yes. 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 Two yeses. Yes. 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 Twelve for twelve. Good progression. Anything going on with progression here?
3: Probably has some PTSD.
2: The timing would certainly support PTSD versus acute stress disorder. Seems to be hypervigilant, blunted affect, blunted response, negative affirmations about oneself. So yeah, I could see acute stress disorder or post traumatic stress disorder being in the differential here. Louder. Malingering. One more time. Malingering. Malingering. Now I have to ask the question, we were spending the last 20 plus minutes here talking about Donnie Darko, the character, as a fictional case of first-break psychosis without schizophrenia. But might this be stress-induced psychosis because saving the universe is a stress, right? Again, stress-induced psychosis means that given the level of stress, anyone can become psychotic. And if you read philosophy written by Roberto Sparrow, she actually gets into that. That people who are now deemed the living receiver will present irrational and look psychotic due to the nature of their mission. Donnie will be supported in this task. He's supported by what we would, we would refer to and have discussed as his social support system. And along, along these lines, we know that there are two types per Roberta Sparrow. That is, there is the manipulated living and manipulated debt. Manipulated living are individuals in Donnie's life who understand they have to get him in a certain position by the end of this movie and know that if they don't, something bad is going to happen. But they don't know exactly what. Individuals, his social support provided this task, will behave irrational. They will give him books that can get them fired. They can say things like sit next to the cutest boy in the room. They will prescribe him placebo and not contact the police, or 911, acute psychiatric services, when they, when they that is Donnie, poses an imminent danger to himself or others. That's the level of being irrational. And that clarifies why all of these characters are acting really goofy. The other part of Donnie's social support manipulated debt are people that in the Tangent Universe, in this entire movie, except for the first two minutes and the last two minutes, is set in the Tangent Universe. And anyone who dies in the Tangent Universe becomes manipulated dead. They have the same task, support Donnie to make sure that he sacrifices himself for the universe, but they have full clarity of what's going on. That, of course, includes Frank, our lovable bunny. And many people, upon reading philosophy, and understanding Frank was manipulated dead, get it. And they have no problem with that. They're like, oh, I, I knew that guy was bad news. But then there's another character that dies in the Tangent Universe. Who is it? Gretchen. Gretchen. And that's when you discover that everything that Gretchen does and that everything that Gretchen says throughout the entire movie is a lie. It has one objective. To make sure a guy does. She never liked him. Her father's not back in town. And, quite frankly, never abused her in the first place. She wasn't
1: sleeping in that theater. None of that is true. We'll end it there. So he talks about Donnie's, like, social support. And they categorized into living and dead, but they're both trying to, like, manipulate Donnie. And I find this just interesting in the context of schizophrenia, because there's actually a thing in schizophrenia where it's really kind of common sense if you think about it. They call it expressed emotion. Literally all that means is like if you are a family of someone with schizophrenia and they're trying to recover and you express like intrusive or negative attitudes like towards them, uh, they don't recover as well. And I think there's another thing that like most people don't know about. There are two forms of like So, PTSD is one. Mm. The other is called acute stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it is not well known. Um, I don't know if it's more common to develop one or the other. Uh, But in PTSD, you actually have like delayed, delayed onset. Um, We're going to pretend like I know this off the top of my head. This class was so annoying. What class is it? This is my abnormal psych book. Mm. From a long time ago. Um, I had to know, like, all of this.
0: God. I think I'm thinking taking around was like, where I took it? Question mark.
1: Mm. It's literally like there is only one difference between these two, and it is when the bad stuff starts happening and when it maybe stops.
0: Mm hmm. Should I pause?
1: I mean, if you want to. i just got to squeak the chair while I talk to the editor. (laughs) So, (laughs) the difference between the two is that acute stress disorder happens the first, like, four weeks, right? Yep. Things start, they don't necessarily end in four weeks, but generally you will end sooner than someone with ptsd with that we obviously don't feel great after a traumatic event but you don't start to show the signs of like you know hypervigilance irritability insomnia that doesn't start until like a month after Mm. that's ptsd and it is long is it's like much longer lasting yeah
0: for the next part of this episode, we will be discussing Halloween, directed by John Carpenter.
2: Just a quick disclaimer: we're focusing on a six-year-old child with regard to what happens, um, and in as much as childhood illnesses should be part of this conversation, given my background, we're probably not going to be able to delve into conditions like conduct disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, or perhaps even ADHD. So, they're kind of off the table for the next thirty minutes. Uh, but nonetheless, we could talk about a six-year-old Michael. We could talk about uh, Michael as an adult. Um, what did you see beyond anger with regard to Michael Myers? He seemed, I think, possessive a little bit. I, mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but i um, I think it's a large unknown. We don't know why he comes back to having right? So it might be uh, an element of feeling possessive, because it looks like he's after Laurie. Um, but I don't know if we know that definitively. And I'm not sure how many sequels this group has watched. I haven't. But yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to awesome. kind of gain further insight as to why he actually comes home with that. What defense mechanism is likely employed? So acting out is an observable action on a forbidden impulse. So that might be anger. And then we see what happens. The idea here. Is that the individual acts on the impulse so as to ensure that they do not become aware of that impulse? What might be that forbidden impulse? Forbid of impulse? And might that, might the answer here be related to the question of why he even goes home that night? But now we just introduced another question: What impulse could be so taboo that Michael acts out in such a way to do what he does? Because it would be it would stand reason from Freudian psychology that the impulse, or being made aware of it, is even worse than the actions themselves. So we have to keep that in the back of our mind, the maskless or faceless expression, the lack of emotion <laughs> or empathy in one's eyes. So we can talk about a severe and persistent mental illness like schizophrenia. Sure. Anything else?
3: Like catatonia?
2: Could be catatonia, yeah. If If catatonia. And you were able to see Michael as a psychiatrist. Let's say you were Loomis's colleague. What might you have provided to Michael Myers that may have alleviated his symptoms and therefore alleviated Halloween two three four five six 3, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, IV benzodiazepine. I mean, could you imagine that this guy became awake and alert and talked to you? I mean, we'd have we have the loss of a franchise, (laughs) if catatonia. Catatonia, generally speaking, is a condition in which the individual is not responding to aspects or stimuli from their immediate environment. That's the general definition of catatonia. The much more complex definition is a set of signs that is assessed through a structured clinical interview with a validated clinical instrument such as the Bush-Francis catatonia scale, which is an extensive multi-item scale, uh, a score of which may actually be above the threshold for diagnosing catatonia. Usually what happens is that upon administering the Bush-Francis and getting a score, the IV benzodiazepine benzodiazepine challenge will be diagnostic if there is a 50% reduction in that score. As a general idea. Uh, any evidence of catatonia? Uh, now he's uh, negativism.
3: Well, It's just odd that like he moves so slowly. I mean it, I, it's very cliche I guess but in terms of this maybe he just is physically having trouble moving and he's just moving so slowly.
2: One of the things we should probably investigate, and this is more of a, a quick literature search, Uh, Catatonia is nothing more than the behavioral manifestation of something that is underlying. So always due to a neurologic or medical condition until that attributed to a mental disorder. For instance, depression, schizophrenia. Now we mentioned schizophrenia already, so that definitely isn't a differential. But like in any evaluation of schizophrenia, the clinician must investigate and rule out uh, other potential medical causes or that due to a substance. if we also think that catatonia would be in the differential, and we think he does demonstrate at least two of those signs, then I think we need to investigate the potential medical or neurological causes of catatonia, and maybe discover what ails Michael Myers.
3: There's so many sexual undertones in this movie. Like, I, I feel like it was like any time someone was engaging in like a sexual act or something, that was when. He struck, and then the whole trope about how um, the one who was more reserved and like virginal, she was the one that was saved, basically.
2: I I think uh, originates from the babysitter motif, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Whether it's a camp counselors babysitting a young Jason Voorhees, um, whether it's uh, when a stranger calls, the babysitter motif is that if you are put in the position of being responsible for children. Uh, do not take the responsibility, and certainly don't have sex, because you will not end this movie alive. Right? So again, it's a pro-social warning with regard to the rules of horror, and really the rules of the super ego. Uh, and Judith Myers, you know, violates that first rule, and she is put in a position of responsibility to babysit not only a young Michael Myers, but what we learned in a in a sequel is that there is another baby is another child in that house that we don't see that's disclosed to be Laura Myers who of course has to change her name because of Michael to Lori Strode. Another observation from Michael is expressionless. He slashes. We think that might be due to acting out. We're really not sure what the young Paul says. It may or may not be related to Lori Strode being Lori Myers, his younger sister. What else can you observe with regard to Michael?
1: He has like
2: voyeuristic behaviors. Yeah, yeah, he's a stalker. Yeah, and because of the overt sexuality in Halloween, um, one of the concerns I would have as a clinician is that his stalking behavior uh, is as a goal uh, for sexual gratification. And if that were the case, uh, what might be the single best diagnosis on a shelf exam? like
3: a certain paraphilia voyeurism
2: or yeah. okay. voyeurism or voyeuristic disorder voyeurism is the behavior voyeuristic disorder is when the behavior is clinically significant now, voyeuristic disorder then is the mental disorder right that again is hallmarked or defined through clinical significance clinically significant distress or impairment itself or others as a result of the abnormal behavior called voyeurism so there's certainly elements of that when you enter into one of those rooms in APS and through a one-hour psych eval, the individual named Michael doesn't say anything to you. You know you're not gonna simply leave the room because you're attending just the past hour, said, as part of your residency training. You will sit and you will experience the silence. Since 1978, has John Carpenter or any subsequent producer, director, ever given us an indication of an underlying medical cause for Michael's not speaking? Never. So what clinical term, specifically mental status exam term, will we use instead of the clinical diagnosis of aphonia? Nonverbal, that would be correct. Mute. Mute. So we think that Michael demonstrates mutism after you do sit with him, whether it's for one minute or one hour, you're attending a call and discuss your clinical findings and decide to use the word mute or mutism in explaining, describing Michael's not talking. Every single condition, including that which explains the behavior we're observing, has both psychological and somatic components to it, period, so it must be psychosomatic. Michael Myers is struggling with a psychogenic illness. Psychogenic illness is nothing more than the psychosomatic illness for which you can't find out what is somatically going on. Hence, psychological factors, therefore, must be deemed to be central by default. That's when we incorporate the term psychogenic. There are four major illnesses in a differential diagnosis with regard to psychogenic disorders. Conversion disorder is one.
3: The somatic symptom disorder. Somatic
2: symptom disorder is number two. Factitious. Factitious disorder, good. And malignant, good. Given the fact that Michael's mutism is likely that of motor deficit, vocal cord deficit, his illness is not talking, his mutism is likely a product of the diagnosis of conversion disorder. So from a psychodynamic perspective, what is likely, or could we give some specificity to that impulse that Michael cannot have come to conscious awareness? He may have said something as a kid, maybe, that something happened to him, right? And so he just, he says, oh. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good example. So I, I, don't, you know, I don't think that Michael Myers' mutism is going to spontaneously remit. And I think that if we were to do this all over again, and if we could have a time machine and get back to 1978, number one, how awesome that would be to relive the 80s. But number two, I think engaging him in psychotherapy uh, would have been something that Loomis may have actually addressed to a greater degree in his treatment plan. And in cases like this, the type of psychotherapy the clinician must consider are nonverbal therapies because to so try to engage Michael Myers in CBT or psychotherapy, etc., cetera, uh, it's going to be very difficult given that he doesn't talk. So music therapy, art therapy, the nonverbal therapies uh, should be of high consideration here. Now, I think in real life, uh, especially in situations in which the individual's conversion disorder is not focused on their voice and therefore mutism, the referral is usually for CBT but we have to be prepared when it doesn't work. So if it works, wonderful. But if it doesn't work, the nonverbal therapies, uh, nonverbal psychotherapies uh, should be um, a plan B. The general idea here is that people like Michael Myers have a very difficult time putting words to their inner feelings. And that goes for whether your conversion symptom is mutism or anything else. They're presenting with physical signs to nonverbally communicate with you because the verbal language so even in cases in which the individual is not you, the nonverbal psychotherapy still should be strong in So give Sidney a try, but be prepared for it being unsuccessful.
3: In the beginning of the movie, like, he walks in on his sister, and she's naked, and, and then he stabs her. And then it's almost like, I think, when like, they were standing outside, and he just had this, like, look of shock on his face, which is interesting, because, like, you would think, I don't know, if he was, like, evil or... Whatever he would be like, like angry or 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 passionate or upset, some sort of thing. And I just think it's interesting that it follows the theme of like people, like the sexual theme of like you know people being naked or people having sex or that kind of thing. So it's just like I think that's interesting. And also when I watched it that first time, and and there's the scene where like right after he comes out of the house, the dad takes the mask off. I I wonder if it's they're almost trying to be like, oh the mask is evil. Because, you know, like he's like this little boy who, we don't learn the intentions of why he did that. Like the minute he takes the mask off of his head, he's just like standing there, like shocked.
2: Yeah, I think uh, he is in shock. He is dissociated when that mask is taken off, which of course then brings into discussion other co-occurring conditions. Um, Depersonalization, derealization disorder, certainly dissociative amnesia. As an adult, Halloween kills. If we asked, and he was able to talk, would he have any recollection of what he did back in 1978? Uh, well, actually, it was 1963. Um, and of course, even DID. right? So we can even look at the dissociative disorders in that context.
1: So now we're on to Halloween, right? I feel like a lot of the stuff that we talked about, right, the positive symptoms, negative symptoms, there's a lot of stuff that fits with schizophrenia. As Dr. Chi says, there's stuff you have to rule out. And the onset window is completely wrong. Because Michael Myers, he goes proverbially sicko mode at age six. So this doesn't really make sense. If you ignore those details, important as they are, a lot of stuff falls nicely into place. So you have Michael Myers, right? He doesn't talk. Mm -hmm. He says nothing ever. He moves very slowly. Mm -hmm. He is also just determined to kill everyone in his family, like, just because... So what I've described so far Does that remind you of anything we were talking about?
0: I mean schizophrenia
1: So you have Michael Myers and we were just talking about how he moves slowly Which I mean this is on me because I didn't mention it But that is all that can also be another symptom like a disorganized symptom of schizophrenia He moves slowly. Yeah, he doesn't talk Poverty of speech another it's a negative symptom of schizophrenia Mm -hmm. stuff. You normally do but you stop doing his incredible obsession with murdering his family could very easily be schizophrenia. Yeah. A positive symptom, right? Mm -hmm. He hears voices, hallucinations, and he believes them, delusions, and there you go. Mm -hmm. You have Michael Myers. So
0: you're saying it's a positive thing that he wants to kill his family?
1: I hate you. (laughs) I mean, again, the thing that doesn't fit is that he develops it at sex, which is like you really you really can't ignore that like yeah. i can't emphasize that enough however like it's kind of cool to see how this all fits connect our, like our schizophrenic spooky halloween
0: episode two. so that was this week's episode and our halloween edition episode i hope you guys enjoyed we'll talk to you guys later yeah bye this episode of tales from the asylum was written by dr anthony tobia and produced by me ml Issa with research done by students and trainees at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson's Medical School. The commentary in this episode starred Sam Shrem, our podcast intern. Tales is just one of our courses that sits at the intersection of behavioral medicine and pop culture. You can learn more about Tales and the rest of our curricula on our website, wickedknights.com, and YouTube channel, Wicked Nights. Be sure to receive notifications about our upcoming events. Just search for us on Twitter and Instagram and click that follow button.